1: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Helen Lewis, Deputy Editor, and each week the team and I will be bringing you an exciting mix of interviews, discussion, and analysis. This week, George Eaton, Raphael Bear, and I discuss the week in politics. Our arts editor and pop critic Kate Mossman talks to Philip Maughan about Spotify and Alex Hearn wonders whether Amazon has finally decided to make some serious money. I'm joined by our political editor, Raphael Baer, and George Eaton, editor of The Staggers, to talk about the week in politics. George, first, big excitement, huge vindication of all the Tory austerity policies, GDP up at 0.6%, right?
3: That's right. So the figure is probably it's high enough for the Tories to just about claim that a recovery is underway and still low enough for Labour to say we should be doing better. Uh, the Tories are, are jubilant because it is higher than the figure from the, from the OBR, and I think there really was a fear that you know, is growth ever going to return? And that's, you know, that's why our, our expectations have become so downgraded now, that 0.6% is seen as cause for uh, celebration, when the reality is we're still stuck in the slowest recovery for 100 years. And
2: still how much lower than the pre-crash yeah, so peak?
3: the UK economy is still 3.3% smaller than it was before the crash. The US economy... Um, you know, when the Obama administration maintained fiscal stimulus didn't go down the path of austerity in the way Osborne did, is uh, 3% larger. Um, but don't expect to yeah. <laughs> hear those figures today.
2: Um, Raph, that presents a big challenge for Ed Balls, doesn't it? Because he has sold himself a lot on the downgraded chancellor, on, you know, low growths. Where does he, how, what's his, how does he reshape that for it's bad, but not as bad as we thought it would be?
4: Yeah, I mean, this is a challenge. And, and people have been saying for a well, for one, a couple even back in 2010 on the Labour side, well, at some stage, the economy is going to grow again. Economies don't just stop growing forever. You know, it's good. there is going to be growth and it might not be great, but what do we do then? And has Labour presented itself as the party of sort of shroud sort of, um, waving you know, shrug- waving? Saying, again. I'm you know, never quite
2: sure what that means. What does shroud waving mean? I think mean? you take
4: a shroud and you wave it. Okay, right. Um, and I, it, that means everything's terrible and we're all dying and it's sort of the end, end times. Um, and then how do you pivot and say, OK, so the economy is now growing, uh, bank, all that you know stuff that we said about how awful they are, and here's a new reason why they're awful. Now, what the new reason is, uh, is that it's, the growth isn't going to be shared evenly. It won't feel to a lot of people like economic growth, as we've known it in the past, because wages um, won't rise. Inflation is rising and will rise. And so the danger for the, for the Conservatives is that they turn around and say, ha-ha, look, growth, everything in the garden is rosy again. And people will say, well, no, everything in the garden is rosy for you and your rich chums in the southeast of England where all the seats are safe Tory seats. But actually out here in the rest of the country, this doesn't feel like growth at all. Um, and so they don't get any, the Tories don't get any political dividend from that. But uh, just to finish the point, <clears throat> uh, it's, I think it is a problem for Ed Balls because people have just got used to him saying one thing. And it, it's starting to, I imagine, I think that message is starting to bounce off people now. And he needs to find a new way. And Labour generally needs to find a new way of getting sort of heard on the economy
2: and George we wrote uh, a leader this week that talked about this new mood of Tory triumphalism I mean how how broad is that and how, across how many subjects
3: well, they're they're pleased that you know, the economy is at least growing again um the crime is down although I don't think the government can really take credit for that but it's 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 part of a long-term trend uh, Abu Qatada's gone, and and Cameron's trying to use him as a sort of Bin Laden of his Obama-style re-election strategy. Uh, the benefit cap has been introduced. They think that they've taken ownership of of that issue. Um, they're for now, you know, by the Tory standards, relatively united on Europe because they've got behind this private members' bill on, on an EU referendum. The split will come much later, if and when that referendum actually happens and then labor has also been forced to concede well actually we wouldn't just have to keep most of your cuts but we'd have to make some of our own um, they are in a, in a in a much better position than they were a few months ago when there was speculation about a, a, a coup against Cameron which I I, I never thought would, would, would come to anything but it was it was telling how many people thought it could which was a reflection of just how few Tories felt optimistic about uh, Cameron's leadership um, but actually how much has changed? in in reality, you know, much less. I still think it's very hard to see how the Conservatives um, can remain even the largest party after the next election, let alone win a majority, because you know, the UKIP factor is still going to be in play. Uh, it's hard to see how they're going to persuade
4: the Lib Dem left. Well, we're lean... seeing polls
2: now, aren't we? With Labour leader only sort of three yeah. points,
4: which is Yeah, my reading of this is that I mean I think the, the polls have essentially reverted to sort of where they were pretty much before the 2012 omni-shambles budget. I think there was a period where um, the Tories really lost their footing, they started stumbling from one crisis to another, they, there was panic, you've got all these divisions opening up over Europe and it really looked for a moment like the, the wheels were properly coming off the government. Um, now, during that period, we, a lot of us were saying, well, this is you know, Labour are doing quite well here entirely because the government just keeps putting the ball in the back of their own net and actually Labour are barely even getting a touch of the ball, but it doesn't matter. Um, now, what seems to have happened in the last couple of months is the Tories have just organisationally in Westminster got their act together, got their message together. Uh, the Tory press ultimately will get behind the Tory administration if the alternative is the Ed Miliband um, government. Um, and so that situation has stabilised and we're sort of back where we were um, which is you have a core Labour vote boosted with a bunch of Lib Dem refugees, um, which is actually a relatively solid chunk of the electorate. And then you've got an almost pretty untouched conservative heartland vote, which isn't that different to the one that Michael Howard had until sort of 2005. And neither of those is enough to really win a majority. And we're stuck.
2: But you wrote your column this week saying that The ground game is is completely different. Labour are surprisingly well organised and you referenced again the Eastie by-election where the Lib Dems, what was it, a Force 10 tabloid gale they walk into and then they still got re-elected. Yeah, I think
4: if you look at what's actually happened when people have turned out to vote so far this Parliament, either in by-elections or council elections, uh, the, the two sort of big picture trends, if you can call them trends that you see are that it's very people are very angry and they express that in unpredictable ways so george galloway winning in bradford for example um and a lot of people just hate the tories and won't vote for them i mean you know, there are just a large number of people in this country who have a cultural inoculation against voting conservatives so under those circumstances i agree with george you know they they can the tories are sort of winning the air war and there's a lot of People essentially high-rate taxpayer sitting in SW1 postcodes who never felt the recession in the first place going, oh, recession? What recession? It's all fine. Everything's great. You know, my wife and I have having a lovely holiday this year. Um, and it's, it bears no relation to what's actually happening in the rest of the country.
2: Well, to switch back to Labour for a minute. So they're in the process of hiring a new spinner. Is it Deputy...
4: So we Deputy Director of Communications, yeah.
2: And you've written a piece, again. very hard-working this week, you've written a piece about nine pieces of advice for Ed Miller. I've got blisters on my fingers. <laughs> one of which is the idea that they need somebody who is good at television, right? That is a, a known kind of... It's one of the area. most familiar
4: things that I hear from people, supportive, anxious people on the Labour side, is they're just nowhere on the pictures. You know, like Ed, he thinks hard about words and ideas. He's got press people around him who at least try to think about how to control the story and the narrative that goes into the newspapers but then they've completely lost control of his image and the pictures that they use to present the party um, and they need someone who won't be squeamish about marketing Ed as a as a brand, actually essentially rescuing what well, I think is a kind of a crisis in brand Ed in the country um, and uh, will just be you know, thinking in terms about what this looks like as well as what the words are and I don't um, somebody who understands television, basically, and, and it's not yet clear that this person that they're going to hire will is be meant to solve that. Certainly, will they solve it? I don't know. So. On,
2: on that note, I will, on that slightly <laughs> d- doubtful note, I, I will leave it. Thank you to George and Ralph.
5: If you care about music, should you listen to Spotify? Last week, Tom York declared, new artists get paid, F all, with this model. Um, His producer, Nigel Godrich, who is the lead singer in another Tom York project, Atoms for Peace, um, sent out a series of tweets announcing that both of them would be pulling their music, not Radiohead, but the rest of their music, from the surface. I'm joined by our newly crowned arts editor, Kate Mossman, to talk about Spotify and whether it's doing good things for music, or whether it's tearing the whole house down. Um, Kate, do you use Spotify?
0: I do. I mean, I've, I've, my personal thing that I hate about Spotify is the fact that it broadcasts to your Facebook page exactly what you're listening to um, Because it's very embarrassing for yeah. you. to the same track 25 times, as I said, to do, and it may be Bon Jovi or something like that. People don't like to see that. They said, well, what, you're supposed to be a music writer? I say, yes, but, you know. Uh, so I've turned all those alerts off. Um, but the, the York thing was such a... It had such um, parallels with what he did in 2007 with the EMI. He famously put in rainbows out as a pay what you will download mm. when at the point when EMI was taken over by Guy Hand's firm terra firma um, uh, as, a, as a gesture of defiance against venture capitalists taking over the music industry and you know not knowing what they're talking about these people don't love records so we're going to go and so it's a funny thing because actually Radiohead were right at the forefront of a, of a movement that has uh, led to us believing that you don't have to pay for music Mm. or that you can pay very little. And some people think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, You know, it is, you know, all art should be free. And I'm sure that's partly what what Radiohead were doing as well. And some people think that it is, it has sort of damaged things. So this looks like another wave of his... um, of that same attitude, really, Spotify are backed by um, venture capitalists. They do contain an awful lot of people who know a lot about music. Um, but it's a sort of it's Tom sticking it to the man again, which he'll continue to do yeah. <laughs> throughout his career. I
5: Completely, because uh, Spotify is very interesting. I mean, uh, either uh, Nigel Godrich or Tom, you one of them to tweeted at some point, I don't think even they have the numbers right, which is true. I mean, they don't make any money. Actually, they lose a lot of money. What, what Spotify does is attract a great deal of investment from from venture capital and from the major labels who seemingly have have, have got on board over the last few years um, and opened up these huge catalogues of kind of uh, impressive, you know, uh, Bon Jovi probably is one of them <laughs> yeah, actually, the big bands. The but, big yeah, bands. Yeah. And so, um, the complaint was more to do with the fact that there's no support for up and coming mm. bands. Um, you know, they, it's it's a sort of money for old rope situation, yeah. whereby in fact, actually, people like Pink Floyd are getting paid much greater rates per stream than any new any new label. Mm. So, what, how, what you know, what do you think are the implications for? Um, uh, for, you know, getting established and getting paid as an upcoming musician. Yeah, I mean,
0: the figures of, of how much you earn for it, it's so complicated. Yeah. It, 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 and um, it's actually American figures tend to be leaked more. And there are estimates that per... Uh, is that The reason it's complicated is that you've got the advertising version where you don't subscribe and then you've got...
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze
0: subscription version and you get a different amount as an artist depending on um, those two sort of streams of revenue if you like so it's estimated that anywhere between 0.01 cent and 0.04 if you're on um, the service where you're not a subscriber that's what's going to go to the artist but if you are on a subscription service um, for instance Spotify will take I think about 30% of your 10 pounds and the artists will get the 70 percent but it's all divided up between all the artists that you're listening to. So if you have extremely eclectic music taste, um, you, <laughs> the artists that you are listening to are getting less and less because you're listening to much more breadth of music. And if you listen solely to you 2 then you 2 are getting your 70% of, your, of the royalties from the, from your subscription. So just because of the way the human brain works, you go to Spotify to look up stuff that you already know because you're overwhelmed by the amount of material that's out there and you you, and human beings will listen to music for particular reasons. You want it to feel good. You want it to comfort you or if you're um, feeling like you need to be energised, you'll put a band on that, you know, so you you. It's like going to a library. You're seeking out a book that you, you want to read. And that's, that's the one of the criticisms, is that that model is not bringing the unknown people to the, to the surface. Um, I was in a conference in um, Oslo in February, and someone came up with a really good point, which is that given the huge monopoly that Spotify has over our, our music listening, the search terms that they have are not in any way complex enough to justify the... Um, the fees that they're getting from people who subscribe. For instance, really basic stuff, like you should be able to search by producer, bass player, session man, all this kind of stuff. Um, and we've all had frustrating experiences with it because you, you'll you look for, um, you know, someone like, say, Bob Seger, I think. I don't even know if he's on Spotify yet, but he certainly wasn't recently. And you'll think, oh, I've got some Bob Seeger songs. And then you realise it's all sort of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir does Bob Seeger mm. or, you know, tributes to Well, that's to the rock. case with the Beatles, is it yes, not? Yes, Because the yeah. <laughs> Beatles
5: famously are not on Spotify. So when you think you're listening to the Beatles, chances are you listen to a karaoke backing track yeah. or something. Like. and it
0: seems like a really basic thing. It's you get the, the 50 versions of the same song title and you have to go through and you see, oh, of course, this isn't the real thing. Neither is this one. This is dangerously similar, but actually it's a tribute act. Um, so it 's all that kind of those are the debates that are going and it it 's a bit like when um so what york 's done is he 's put um, atoms for peace with uh, sound halo, mm. but only it 's a live um, service so it's it 's actually trying to trying to counter bad bootlegging and yeah. youtube and stuff um, so the music will go out the live recordings will go out through sound halo um and I think as long as there is a decent amount of um, competition coming up to keep spotify improving it 's all right it 's a bit like when even Costa Coffee launched their massive attack on the world about three years ago, and as a result, Starbucks started putting an extra shot of coffee in their lattes because everyone knew that Starbucks coffee was really bad because it was too weak. Costa came along, they made them, you know, get their act together a little bit, and that's what it, they need. Some other huge operators like that that can actually improve it just by competition, maybe.
5: That's that's true enough. I mean, do you think that? Spotify is a necessary evil or it may be kind of the lesser of two evils when the opposite might be BitTorrent websites and, you know, Napster in the old sense, which was just Mm. downloading.
0: Certainly for people who uh, are nostalgic for the old model where you went out and bought a record with hard-earned cash, it does. It has always felt like the lesser of two evils, it's appeased that sense of guilt that you're not uh, paying the artist as much as you used to. And possibly that's one of the problems with it because you can that part of your brain you can cross that off. They're getting some money, and it's only when these, this kind of study comes out that you realise how little they're getting. Yeah. Um, and they're also somebody was saying this in the, the Observer that they, it's this strange tightness that is encouraging in people well they've got my 10 pounds therefore i should have everything in the world Mm. at my disposal yeah and i think they're they in in scandinavia grudging
5: 10 pounds which is 10 pounds more than nothing we're so
0: tight and i think we're really tight as a nation because if the scandinavian spotify is anything to go by they've they've got a a very good subscription model and they're, they're they're paying their artists a lot more Um, because most people are subscribing over there. And I think in the UK, if I'm right about this, I don't know, but a lot of people don't subscribe. And it is suggesting that we as a nation genuinely don't believe in paying for music when other countries still do.
5: It's an interesting dilemma. I subscribe at £10 a month, actually, Mm. to Spotify, mostly because, you know, I listened to friends who talked about it and said, you know, it's wonderful. You've got all this kind of stuff. It's really great, though. Admittedly, none of them had found anything new on Spotify. They'd just been able to get the kind of sort of American indie rock music that they love on on Spotify. Um, However, about a week ago, I kind of realised that I hadn't been on it in a while and, you know, I thought I'm spending the same... Now, actually, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to spend £10 a month on one CD and I'm going to really (laughs) listen to it and enjoy it. And I think I would probably, you know... Like having it, though, everything at your fingertips, doesn't always mean that you encounter everything or have any kind of understanding of it or enjoyment of it. Yeah. So I mean, I don't want to sound like a fogey. I mean, a personal anecdote that maybe uh, to cap this uh, conversation off, I uh, used to be in a band, um, and I got my uh, sort of royalty from Spotify the other day. I got sixty-four pence, um, which is <laughs> what which period is...
0: was that for the the entire history of Spotify? No,
5: it was a qu- uh, quarter, quarter, right. quarter of the year. Uh, um, it was not, yeah, it was among the lowest on the on the royalty statement. But uh, I should just add also that I got 0.02 pence from YouTube, so it could always be yeah. worse.
0: And it means that, I mean, it's fascinating who listened to it. It's lovely to think that there are people out there that you'll never know who mm. found it, who wouldn't have found it another yeah. way. Um, that it, I think that so most artists are generally quite happy that, that Spotify exists. I think it just needs to be constantly... Um, threatened by other things and i think that's probably why what he's done is quite useful even though it's i think it's a publicity stunt as well it's a perfect way of i mean in rainbows was that's a fantastic publicity stunt for in rainbows saying you know pay what you will download i mean that's the way that atoms of peace are going to get more famous isn't
5: it yeah definitely okay spotify we're watching you
2: thanks very much kate joined by our senior receiving things in the post correspondent Alex Hearn to talk about Amazon so first of all tell me what's happened
1: um, so Amazon is a really big company Amazon makes a lot of money Amazon sells a lot of things but Amazon doesn't profit really at all they they make compared to the profit margins of other internet companies Amazon breaks even you know a billion here a billion there um, and everyone thinks this is because the company wants to become the biggest in the world and doesn't really care about making profit. It wants to be big, not profitable. Recently, that looks like it started to change.
2: Does it have shareholders?
1: It has shareholders. How um, do they feel about that? Well, there's, there's a wonderful line which, uh, which Amazon's CEO quoted in a letter to the shareholders. Um, uh, an American journalist called Matt Iglesias described it as uh, a charitable institution for turning Wall Street's money into consumer surplus. Like, it's just a big old machine for giving shareholders money to people in the form of money off CDs. Basically, everyone thinks that the shareholders secretly know that Amazon's plan is at some point to turn around and go, oh, look, we've destroyed all the competition and raised prices. But no one can actually say that because it's illegal. Which means, obviously, we don't think Amazon is doing that.
2: No, no, No. very much not. But... They are acting a bit like somebody who that might be the plan, although we know that's not the plan, right?
1: Right, exactly. Um, now that you know they they have most of the book sales in the world, and they now own publishers as well, and they now sell groceries, uh, they've raised the delivery prices again. So,
2: but only on some. Objects, only, on, right? only,
1: on, only on very few. Uh, if you're if you're buying something worth ten pounds or less, that's not a media item, you now have to pay a delivery charge on it. Uh, you didn't before, but it seems to indicate that they actually have started to care about their profit margin. Just a little bit, just on the very smallest things. But that's not the behaviour of the Amazon we've seen in the last five years. And there's anecdotal evidence, because the company is cagey and it's hard to get uh, reliable data, but there's anecdotal evidence that they're slowly raising prices on small publishing houses, on academic textbooks, things where people actually don't have any other option anymore.
2: But isn't this kind of the story of internet companies? I mean, the internet was supposed to be this amazing democratizing thing. People were going to be able to do, you know, and we see that mm-hmm. a lot of talking about kind of things like Kickstarter. But actually, it's dominated by a, one big company in every arena, right? It's, so it's Google the, is the I mean, Bing has got a tiny little, and I know you try and use DuckDuckGo, but it ain't never going to catch on us. <laughs> Um, you know, Apple sells music. That's kind of what it does. Spotify mm. streams music. And despite the best efforts of Louise Mensch, no one has yet come up with a, 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 something that is a, a real alternative to Twitter.
1: Yeah, the internet is the greatest machine for capitalism's tendency to centralise functions that we've ever seen. It lets you serve the entire world from California. And Amazon is in Seattle, but point stands. It's getting very, very good at selling everyone everything Uh Wherever you are in the world,
2: you can But often Amazon. for consumers that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Because I mean I I was doing the question time extra guest once and we talked about Amazon and I said, Yeah, but the trouble is I know that I know that I should support my local independent bookseller, but when I go to them, I want some quite random book. They don't have it, I'd have to wait six weeks until order it and I then have to walk back to it. I want an <laughs> imposition that is the idea I might walk somewhere. Whereas Amazon will have everything. This is the thing, it's kind of hard
1: to feel that upset about the fact that a company has come in and is basically giving us things at wholesale cost. That's a really nice thing to have if you shop. It's just it's probably not a very long term sustainable plan. And the fear comes with what happens at the end of that, if Amazon is not only the only bookseller, but the only publisher and the only literary agent in the world.
2: Well, I'm going to take a moment here to be rude about Amazon, because one of the things that New Statesman does is we serve a Kindle edition. And for some reason, Amazon has decreed that this can't be in the order of the magazine, which, excuse me, we spend quite a lot of time deciding every week. It has to be arbitrarily grouped by subject headings. So Amazon thinks it knows how to produce the New Statesman better than we do. Some listeners might suggest that might be true but it does have that that same apple style drive just to be in charge of everything right yeah but
1: you know if you don't like it you can always take it to a competing ebook platform like one of those other ones yeah that are massively popular
2: well i know and i've got a kindle as well so i'm just the biggest hypocrite on that note i think we'll probably leave it thank you alex thanks helen Today's podcast was presented by me, Helen Lewis, with Raphael Baer, George Eaton, Alex Hearn, Philip Morn, and Kate Mossman. It was produced by Caroline Crampton, edited by Philip Morn, and our theme music is taken from Devil with the Devil by The Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. More information on how to subscribe to our podcast can be found at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast. We're having a week off next week. We'll see you after that.